Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Countryside with Kiri Kermud and myself, Simon Clark. And what a prestigious honour, Kiri. Uh, you attended a few of the days of the uh, special um, Sheep and Wool Festival. Tell us more about that. Yes, the North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference was held here on the Isle of Man. And it was a privilege to have so many people from around the world to visit our island and our local Lockton flocks. And it was absolutely fascinating to hear from the founder and Manx National Heritage who have linked up to bring the conference together and had a packed schedule. A really real credit to the Lockton breeders here yeah, on the island. Yeah, and lots of um, great positive remarks about the Isle of Man Locktons because, you know, we go on about the Laxey Wheel and the Manx Cat, but nowadays a lot of people are associating the Lockton sheep with the Isle of Man, aren't they? That's right. It's, it's taken up a real role in the culture and ID of the Isle of Man and having the big statue outside uh, the Max Radio station here. Many people and visitors have been up to see it during their visit here this time, and it really is a, a fabulous landmark. Yeah, I was at Uni Mills Hall for the annual Manx Bantam Fur and Feather Society show. Uh, there was all sorts there, rabbits, guinea pig bantams, and pigeons and ducks, uh, judges from the UK, and also special prizes awarded as well uh, by the uh, Great Britain Poultry Society too. So, you know, there was plenty of noise there, but <laughs> loads. It's a lovely little hall for that sort of event. Lovely neat set. And of course, Nigel Taylor does such a, an enthusiastic job, you know, uh, there all day and organising all of this sort of thing. So That's uh, right. A lot of work goes into it, but they're of such a high standard, the, the poultry on the Isle of Man, that these UK judges will, will have a task on their hands. Yes, we'll find out about that. And also, uh, the Sagan that I called it began the other week, but uh, it's easy to get these things mixed up. Uh, Bob Cooley tells me more about what its role was and how it got made all from straw. That's all in this week's Countryside. Here it is. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, we've been honoured over the last week, Kiri. We've had quite a good conglomerate of people involved in the wool industry and the sheep industry, haven't we? We were lucky enough to be hosting a rather prestigious event on the island. That's right. The 7th North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference has been held here on the island and they've been touring around many of the local locked-in sheep producers and visiting some of the wool factories that we have here on the island and looking at the garments that we produce. And I caught up with some of the people involved in the event including Kirsty Neat from Manx National Heritage. I'm not an expert on the Lockton by any means. I work at the museum with the collections, so I always start my research with the collections that we have here at Manx National Heritage. And the first place I started was in the library and archives, where I found some great early descriptions of these Manx mountain sheep. So I found a pamphlet called A General View of Agriculture in the Isle of Man, 1812, written by Thomas Quell. And he talks about the Isle of Man having an indigenous breed of sheep, little and hardy, but of mean appearance, with high backs and narrow ribs, slow feeders and long in coming to maturity. The ewes are sometimes polled, sometimes horned, the rams always horned. And their general colour is white, but many are grey, some black, and a few of a peculiar colour approaching to that of an unblanched bitter almond, which in the language of the country is termed Lockton. And I just think that description is really interesting because we think of the Lockton sheep, the native breed, as just being a brown sheep. But from that description we know that actually the brown sheep was one 
example of this sort of Manx mountain sheep that came in all kinds of colours, but one thing they did have in common was the horns and the short tail. And that makes them part of the North Atlantic um, sheep family, I suppose. And the breed, it really was in decline then when Thomas Quayle wrote that. He suggested it wasn't a very yeah. popular breed. He said, the breed appears to have been once widely dispersed. So just in that sentence, he's suggesting that it no longer is widely dispersed. And we believe that through the 19th century, the brown Locktons in particular were less popular because of commercial production of wool. And also because they weren't very productive in terms of meat either. Yeah. They weren't fattened as quick as some of the more commercial breeds. So they started to decline. And I also know, I mean, they're, they're pretty spirited animals. And one of my colleagues calls them woolly Houdinis because <laughs> they can escape from anything. Very, very true. <laughs> so um, there might be a bit of trouble, actually. So the, the popularity of the Lockton declined as other breeds were brought in. And there was a lovely piece about Caesar Bacon being the, basically the saviour of the Lockton. Yeah. There were several people through the 19th century who sort of kept the breed ticking over and saved it from extinction. I mean, numbers were really, really low, but it was really, at the end of the 19th century, a chap called Caesar Bacon who farmed at Seafield, Santon, and he was interested in the native breed, and so he took a, a flock on and he really developed it. Now, he did have to bring in some outside blood, so he did bring in some Scottish sheep, but he then bred that back out again once he'd built up his flock, and he apparently really favoured the brown Lockton, so he bred out any of the white... Um. Oh, greys, and he kept the brown going. But unfortunately, he died in 1916, and obviously in the middle of World War One. and things then went a bit wrong for the Lockton again. Mm -hmm. Numbers really seriously declined. A chap called Mark Collett took on some of Caesar Bacon's sheep, and they were run on Peel Hill. Apparently, I don't know if this is true, but one of the stories I read was that they were pretty feral and they were left to run amok, often through the streets of Peel. So <laughs> eventually, after World War II, approaches were made to the museum to say, could you please come and take these sheep on? Can you manage them? At the time, we didn't really have the resources. But after a couple of approaches and when the situation really was sort of dire, we worked with a chap called Major Brownston in Druidale who offered some land and we took on the flock and we worked with Jackie Quine the lovely Jackie Quine who, who worked with us as a shepherd for more than 50 years um, and he built that flock up in Druidel and then we were able to take some to the calf and some to Craigneesh. Because now you have maybe up to 150 ewes yeah. running at the two sites. Yeah, something like that, yeah. It goes, yeah, about 150. So we've got about 50 in the north, about 50 at Craigneesh and about 50 on the calf. But not only do you see this as preserving the breed, but, but they're good for the ecosystems at these sites. Yeah, they are. They're, I mean, they're good grazers. So basically, the insects feed on their dung and then the birds come along and feed on the insects and certainly at the, on the Mole Peninsula this works really well in supporting the chuff yeah. um, we've got a really strong colony of chuffs down there and on the calf as well it manages the landscape we don't overgraze it and again it supports the bird life there But it was a wonderful story before when you said we have 40% of possibly the chuff population. I read that in a document today and I was just astounded I mean I knew we had more here than anywhere else and it is probably the 
only bird that I can identify, <laughs> apart from a sparrow. <laughs> but what a wonderful example of our native sheep we have on offer for the delegates. These people have travelled from around the world to this Atlantic Sheep Conference. We're at, it's an absolute privilege for the Isle of Man. I was amazed, I have to say, how many people were here in the lecture theatre at the Manx Museum and from all over the North Atlantic. You know, they really have travelled to come here and it sometimes takes people from outside to make you really appreciate what you've got and, and to see the Lockton up there on the screen with all the other sheep from the North Atlantic, all those other breeds, it was really great to see that actually. Something to be very, very proud mm, of. Definitely. Karin, you are the founder of the uh, North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference organisation and here you are on the Isle of Man. How many years ago did this all start? The first conference was in 2011 but I started the uh, thinking about this in, and worked to get on in 2010, and that was in Orkney. And why did you bring the group together? I think it's so important because these native sheep are so important, and North Atlantic Sea is the most hardiest place to be a sheep. So that's why we need these sheep. You can't take a modern sheep and move that. It's too tough for them. They, they will not survive. And these native sheep are so important and um, the quality they have is excellent for uh, that area of, of uh, keeping sheep. They obviously are used to the landscape, and they will maintain a beautiful landscape in, in what they eat and the, and the way that they are genetically born. But it, it's a heritage from the Vikings. The Vikings brought these around this, the North Atlantic Sea and everyone has made up their own based on the material they got from them. Yeah. We still have this, this sheep in Norway and uh, we call it the, the, the vil sow, uh, the gammelorsk sow, that's the name of it, but the genetically is the same as when the Viking kept them. Ex exactly the same sheep. Genetically, yes. Wow, yeah. that's, that's amazing, isn't yeah. it? And you take the products, the wool from the sheep in particular, and, and make all sorts of products now. I started this because when I went around, the, I've been travelling around in the North Atlantic Sea for 20 years, and I saw loads, loads of wool thrown out in the nature. I've been working with wool for 40 years, so I, I couldn't manage to see this. And It would and, make you angry. It, yes, it did, really. <laughs> I had to do something, and that's why I started this. And it's been traveling around the North Atlantic Sea since. And uh, it's so much to come out of it. And we have a huge network around the North Atlantic Sea. And uh, I didn't think when I started this I, that it will be an interest for people from South Africa and New Zealand and Australia and Canada to come over here to see what we are doing around the North Atlantic Sea. But to have a conference like this is bringing people together with the same ideas or different ideas and making it last forever. Mm, yeah, yeah we, have a, we have a huge network. We can learn from each other. It's easy to take contact and I want to have it on the ground level rather than the top level. Nothing's happened there, I must say, honestly. <laughs> so, <laughs> but this is it. It's a natural product. It's there to be used. We can use it yeah. in house insulation. You know, the ideas and inspirations are endless. Yes. The only thing you can't use it for is for, for food. You can't eat it. <laughs> you can't do everything. Yeah. Else, so. But you take to the road and you travel around these places. You do roadshows and workshops to try and educate yeah. and promote. Yeah, I have a I have a project in Norway. So I teach farmers and other people on the coasts, Norway, how to develop the wool, how to do district development based on sheep and and wool, and it works. So you need probably, but 
if you share, you get very much back. If you're sharing around, and that's what we do with this network. And since this, you have developed the Wool Week in 2014? Yeah. Yes. We have had Wool Week in Norway, and now in, it started in, the, in one county around Bergen, on the west coast of Norway, and now there is another county, and now there is two, three other counties that want to have their Wool Week as well. And that's a sort, that's a tourist product also, as well as a, a local thing to, to show a marketing what you are doing, what you are making at home. And, and this would work here on the Isle of Man? I think absolutely that will work on, in Isle of Man, yes. You've been here for maybe a few days. What do you think of our Manx locked in sheep? I like them. What I want for this conference is to set focus on this sheep. They are really unique. They are the oldest you have on the islands. So why shouldn't you use them as an icon for Isle of Man? They are the most spectacular ones of the all, all around Shetland, Orkney, Faroe, Iceland, Outer Hebrides, Greenland, Norway and Isle of Man. This is the one most spectacular one. It's really, really thing you can use on the island to attract people to come here. Yeah, and you should do it. It's not just the, the woolen products or the meat that you get from the no, sheep. It no. can be used as as, can use as, as as an icon, as an identity for the island. It's a very old thing. And I know this is very interesting for people around other places to come here. Just for the... I don't think people in, in, in Shetland, and I, I know this. I've been there many, many years. And I helped till first wool week in Shetland as well. I know there is people coming from all over the world just because of the sheep and the wool. So I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that Isle of Man can have their own wool week based on this. And a lot of people became here as well. Catherine, wool week is not just a hobby. It is far more than, than just getting involved now. It's a proper business and industry. Yes, it's, a, it's quite a, a big event. Uh, hundreds of people are coming and... Um, uh, last year, the Wool Week in Shetland generated more than eight million pounds. So it's not—it's not a hobby. It's—it's it's actually it's—it's it's a product. It's a product you can you can recommend as a sort of a tourist product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And for any small island, any kind of marketing like this, this would this benefit. What, yeah, this is what you have. This is this is your unique thing. So why shouldn't you focus on this? Yeah. That was the founder of the North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference, Kareen Schwarstad, and Kirsty Neat from Manx National Heritage. Isn't it great to have something like that on the Isle of Man, Kirie? Um, and what a great idea, you know, founded by walking round and going, all this wool stuck on the barbed wire and on briars and things. This is it. Nothing was getting done with the woolen products, especially in Norway. It was literally getting dumped in hedgerows and ditches. And it made Kareen so angry that she thought she'd do something about it. And to develop an organisation like this with so many people from around the world now getting involved and, and making wonderful products from it, it's such a good product to use the insulation jumpers it's just brilliant the list goes on yeah and it was great that they that people from all around the british isles had the chance to and europe of course to, to have the chance to look at our locktons and sheep here in the island it was an absolute privilege to host so many people but uh, they had a fine display of locktons on the isle of man for them to have a look at and um we have two of the world's biggest flocks of locktons and it was a really really enjoyable weekend for everybody involved <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual.
Well, last week at the Union Mills Hall, it saw the Manx Bantam Fur and Feather Society's annual show. There was rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, bantams, pigeons and ducks on display for the general public. And the visiting judges had a tough job to pick the winners from them. Also, there were special prizes presented from the Poultry Club of Great Britain. I popped along to speak to some of the people there. Well, let's firstly get a word with the judge here at Union Mills today, Cyril Rimmer. Been a, a good show? It's been a really good show, yeah. Very enjoyable, relaxed atmosphere and the true spirit of exhibition. Nobody's too bothered if they win or lose, they just enjoy the birds, enjoy the company. Is every show like that? No, no. <laughs> it's In the Isle of Man, it's like it was round in the mainland 30, 40 years ago. A lot more camaraderie not as competitive. People still want to win and the birds are good quality, but they enter the proper spirit of it. They really enjoy the birds, they enjoy the company and the tormenting of one another and the laughing and the joking. And a lot of time now in the mainland, it's too competitive. There's a lot of argy-bargy if they don't win. We're here, they take it in the stride. Is it always the, the case where people are going, oh, I don't think that one should have won, that one was it's better? It's the same every, everywhere, but it's not as bad here. People are quite happy for a friend to win, and that, to me, is fantastic. Yeah, they seem to share a bit, you know, you can see yeah. them asking, yeah. um, you know, how did you get the, the bird yeah. to, to yeah. get these feathers like and that it, and things? And it's, it's all help. Everybody helps one another. We've had a lovely lunch. The ladies have made a lovely lunch. And like I say, everybody's so friendly, so happy, so welcoming. It's been a brilliant day. You're no stranger to the island, though, at various shows, are you? No, no, this is my fifth time I've judged over here. And again, it's the fifth time I've been, and I'll look forward to coming again. What do you look for? Is there, is there lots of different aspects you've got to well, take into consideration? On a bird, it's the same as anything else. You have 100 points for excellence. Might be 10 points for eyes, 20 points for colour, 10 points for condition, and you mark them out of 100. Same as marking an exam paper for a child's exam. One with the highest number of marks is your winner. Some of them have disqualification faults. Some of them have di slight deformities. You just knock them back and then pick the ones that are beautifully presented, well-conditioned, and well looked after and good to the breed type. How do they compare with the stock that's available on show uh, in the UK and other places? Well you've obviously a smaller gene pool and a lot of the people here that are showing today still go over to the mainland buying birds and looking at the birds but the quality of the stock here, the top spec are as good as any that there is knocking about. The ones that have won here today you'd be proud to show any show in Great Britain. What's your 40? Do you still show yourself? I still shows? show. I get more enjoyment from breeding but I do still show occasionally my breed isn't over over popular is it, is it a bantam it's a bantam I breed Japanese bantams which have very very short legs but again they're interesting then and that's what it's all about a lot of looking after do they? it's the same as anything else you only get out what you put in and the birds that are well looked after here they're kept clean they're fed the best of everything and it's paid dividends today because the quality's shone through and they've got high awards. 
Tina Johnson, congratulations. Thank you. Star of the show today. Well, the hen was. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the, the hen that's won the, the championship here. It's a Black Or Orpington Bantam, because this is just a show for Bantams uh, today, not large fowl. And she was bred this year, she was bred the end of March. So she's done well, she's just starting to lay, which makes them really red in the face and looks like they're, they're ready to show. All the feathers are through. But I have had a light on the shed to increase the daylight hours. So because it gets dark, the longer you give them daylight, the more they eat, and that brings them into lay quicker, which is what I want for showing. Right, and it's just uh, there seems to be a, a mighty bunch of feathers on this type. Yeah, they, there's a lot of feathers on an Orpington, and they take a long time to mature because of all the feathers. Um, but they're, they're a heavy breed, so it means that they are quite a heavy bird. But they're still a bantam of a large fowl, so we do have Orpington large fowls, which are big um, in comparison to an Orpington bantam, which is still big compared to a lot of the others. And how about breeding and things like that? Can you can you do that over here? Yes, yes, I've, I've bred all these myself. Um, I suddenly start putting them together about February. Um, they're renowned for not being very fertile, so this year I was really lucky. Uh, a sort of one incubator and then the next incubator, everything was fertile. So this year I bred about 30, which is not a lot compared to the UK. Some people will breed two or three hundred birds. Really? Yeah, yeah, to get what you want. But uh, they're part of they're part of me. Um, I enjoy keeping them around. Yes, I enjoy showing, but. I, I wouldn't swap having them at home. What about the eggs? Can you make omelettes and things with them? Yeah, you can, you can eat them. Um, they're just smaller eggs, but they're, they're, if you crack them, quite honestly, you wouldn't notice much difference. So, and they're, they're a really nice taste because these are free range. So I think sort of nice eggs from happy hens. What about the, when you, when you breed them and you're looking at them, do you, do you have a good idea from when they're chicks, how good they'll turn, turn out to be for sort of show standard? You can obviously see faults sometimes, but with the, the Orpingtons, it takes a long time for them to mature, and a lot of it is in the feather. So with these, I have to take a long time um, to, to realise if they're going to be good enough for showing uh, of a good standard. We obviously impressed Cyril today. What was his um, verdict on it? Yes, no, he, he thought it was a, a, a nice uh, pullet. Um, he's seen them before when he's been over judging, so... He also um, judged the call ducks as well. I had them in today, so it's nice because you get an independent, you know, person over here. We always try and get judges from the UK, so they don't really know our birds. If we, if one of us judge, we know exactly whose birds belong to who. So it is nice to get an independent review. Well, Supreme Championship uh, winner for 2017. Well done. Thank you very much. Well, let's get a word with the hardworking secretary of the Manx Bantam Fur and Feather Society, Nigel Taylor. And it looks as though it's been another success. Yeah, it's been a nice day. We've had quite a few visitors in. Uh, you've had trials and tribulations with different diseases over recent years. And how has 2017 been? Well, bird flu, of course, is a bit of a, a worry. And um, who knows, we might have something coming back again this winter. And that's one of the reasons why the next show, Onken Show, is going to be held a lot earlier than it normally is to try and avoid any risk of that. The age range is always nice, isn't it? There's always some of the younger ones who are... Oh, coming in and really proud of their pets, aren't they? Yes, it's uh, well. It's nice to see them, and the, the Clegg family are here in force from from London. So there's um, there's been a lot of them here today. What's next for you? The Onken show, you said? Yeah, and then there's a couple of big shows across, um, very large shows. One in um, Stafford and one at Telford, which are really the 
the big serious shows in the winter. And you'll be showing stuff there? Um, I'm, I'm hoping to get to one of them, yeah. yeah. What about the rest of the people who have been showing today? How many of them will, will take part in them big shows? Yeah, well, the likes of rabbits, there's big there's big rabbit shows across in Doncaster and other places which they attend. And they, people, we all tend to do quite well with our different animals, our different breeds. So that's good to see. Some of the people who attended the Manx Bantam Fur and Feather Society's annual show at Union Mills last week, one an array of stuff they have there packed because it's not a, the biggest hall in the world, but they had everything there. And great that, that you know they're presenting these prizes from the Poultry Club of Great Britain as well, and judges coming over from the UK and saying how good our stuff is over here. It's serious competition, but some of the genetics in some of the birds and animals on show there are absolutely second to none. There's some fabulous bloodlines here on the Isle of Man, and they're a credit to the breeders. They work so hard to clean them, bath them, and present them for the day. It's like any other show, isn't it? But just on a smaller scale, maybe. Yeah, but uh, you heard some of the people talking and also some of the animals as well, but <laughs> we didn't quite find a translator to find out what they were saying on the day. But they were certainly well looked after, that's one thing for certain. Well, you remember I was at the Roots show uh, the other week, Kiri, and uh, I was on about the, the straw and the bagan, which are completely gone. I remember at the end of the show uh, that it was called a sagan. Uh, Bob Cooley told me more about what its role was and how it's made. It's basically a twisting straw to make the straw rope. Originally, the straw rope was made to tie the thatch down, the thatched cottages, and back before we had Dutch barns when I was a youngster, it was to tie it down like I've learned to thatch stacks. And we made this again to tie the thatch down for through the winter. It's a case of twisting the straw rope to make a long length of rope, which was to tie it down to stop the wind from blowing it off. Right, it is a tricky thing to make. It was far easier to make with the straw you had before combines. Because to make this again, it all started when you were doing the thrashing really. The mills before the baler came in just had what we called bundlers. And you had the straight straw, so it was easier. Because you had long straw, the straw them days was about four to five foot long like. Right. So you made the straw rope and that it would last for about two to three years, like if you took it off. As long as it was took off in the frosty weather, it would break. If it was frozen, it would break. But if it was took off and it looked all right, you would keep it some of it for the next year so you didn't have to make as much each year. And like I suppose I'm one of the last fellas now that actually thatched the stacks and tied them down with the straw rope, just again as we call it. But the thumb rope, as we call it, that we make with our thumb, was made to tie the tops over the rooks. Rooks were, before any balers came in for the hay, they were put into big, like small stacks, you might say, which would be about six foot high and six foot across. And to tie it down, you made the thumb rope and tied it down. That was just long enough to go over the hay rook and tie it down. But rooks were about the right weight for a horse to drag. One horse would drag the rook into the stack. So it seemed a pretty important thing, I suppose, then when you were young. I suppose you had to you learn it fairly when you were fairly young, did you, on the farms? Well, I learned to twist it and gradually make it when I was about six or seven anyway. Really? You know, like, because I was thatching when I was 12, and that, and of course... We used to make the straw rope of a night in the loft, 
when Kayar came in, which was like a stuff we made blankets of, when that came in, some farmers used that to tie the thatch down. But because farming was a hard job back in them days, you know, and anything to save money, so making the straw rope from something you had was what they done. Bob Cooley telling me about the special straw rope called the Sagan here on the Isle of Man and its uses uh, in, of course, the agricultural world in particular and the house and trade with the covenant of the thatchers on the thatched cottages in its day. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, I'll have to make you this again uh, to go with your collection of <laughs> bizarre things, Kerry. <laughs> yeah, the old straw rope and things like that. But what a, um, you know, sort of role it had, you know, covering the, the haystacks, you know, and they could use the bits of the straw that were it was sort of half-wasted, but you know, use it to tie the, the thatching on, on houses and haystacks too. That was right. There was never anything wasted. And nowadays we have the blue rope and everything else all manufactured. They didn't have those luxuries then. So it's really nice to hear of the heritage and the traditions that really did work. Yeah, and uh, great honour, the old uh, wool and uh, festival there, the Sheep and Wool Festival conference. <laughs> It really was. It was a pleasure to have all these visitors, but it was great to share knowledge and take on board the ways they manufacture wool. It's a product which hasn't been used maybe to its full potential here on the Isle of Man, and maybe we could look into it for the future. Yeah, I also remember talking to Claire Lewis about that, um, you know, to do with the goats and stuff, and, you know, it's just a shame that she has to take the 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 hair off the island, you know, to, to do anything with it, really, because it's not worth having all the equipment here. It's never going to be cost productive if you know what I mean so yeah but and the Fur and Feather Society annual show the Manx Bantam Fur and Feather Society show another good t- turnout of all sorts of animals <laughs> that were in there it was just great to be in there amongst that noise gives it such an atmosphere and you know there's people coming over from, to judge it from the UK and wards from the from the Great Britain Poultry Society and still a lot of enthusiastic people on the island who, who look after these bantams and, and rabbits and guinea pigs and ducks and pigeons really have had a, a great reputation uh, by the words of the people coming over to judge them. That's right, but also having the smaller animal shows, children can get involved, you know, they can bring their, their pet cat along and or their pet rabbit and, and you make a start and maybe it's something they can develop to bring on poultry and other such species later on in yeah. life. It reminds me of animal magic when whatever his name was, Morris, used to present it with the talking animals. Just imagine them sitting in the cages with (laughs) kids poking their fingers in every two minutes. Not another one. (laughs) That's it for this week's Countryside, though. We'll be back next week with more. So from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermit. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.